The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Thanks, Maura, for reading a passage that is probably getting a little bit old. I mean, we've been reading that passage for four weeks now, um, but don't worry, this is the last, the last Sunday we'll be doing this. Um, so let us uh, begin. You know, um, I don't like losing my spot. Sometimes, uh, you know, you, you uh, wake up in the morning, at least I have this happen to me on occasion. I wake up in the morning and then I sit at the edge of bed and I go, oh my goodness, uh, I don't know what day it is. Am I missing something? Uh, what am I supposed to do today? I can't remember. And I have this mini freakout moment where I'm trying to remember what it is that I'm supposed to be doing today. I don't know if you've, you've ever had that before, if that's a Hayden problem. Um, but it gives me a sense of complete disillusionment. Or, you know, sometimes if you, maybe you put your book down and you forget to put a bookmark in there, and then you're like, oh no, now I have to find my spot again. And it takes you a few minutes to, to find where you were in that story. Or even on a bigger scale, you go through a period of your life where you maybe ask some pretty serious questions of, you know, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Should I be doing this uh, job? Should I be doing this thing? Should I be, or should I be doing something else? We, we, sometimes we lose our spot. And in all of these things, I think what is really at the heart of it is a question of, of meaning, of purpose, right? What is, what is the meaning and the purpose? So when I, when I lose track of what day it is, or when I wake up and I'm just, ah, that, I've lost the purpose for a moment. What am I supposed to do? Um, if you put your book down and you lose that, that spot, you lose your, the, the, the location in that larger story, the purpose for the meaning of that, that book right then and there. And, and when you question your life, you, you, you wonder, like, what, what is my purpose? What is my part in the larger story? Maybe of your life, yes, but also of the world. What am I doing here? What am I called to do? Um, we, the church faces this too. We sometimes lose our spot. And we need to be reminded of why we are here. What is our purpose as the body of Christ? What is it? And part of our renewal process is doing this, of reminding us kind of the basics. And that's one of the reasons why we've been doing this series of being church, where we've been looking at worship and of discipleship and devotion, right, of uh, now mission. Um, We've been looking at these different aspects of church reminding ourselves kind of what the bare bones basics is. And this Acts 2 church is a good model for us to go off of because it's, it's brand new. And so we can ask this question, what is the church here for? And so let's look this morning at three things that we will uh, discover together. The first is, what is the mission of the church? And then the second question is, why does the mission of the church matter? And the third is, the biggest, how is the mission of the church accomplished? So what is the mission of the church? Why does it matter? How is it accomplished? Uh, So, uh, first, what is the mission of the church? I love the way that one person I read this week put it, and this is a bit of a longer quote, uh, so um, I'll summarize it, but just be prepared. Mission is our committed participation 
as God's people, at God's invitation and command, in God's own mission within the history of the world, for the redemption of God's creation. Uh, That's a a long, drawn-out sort of definition of what that is. But but what I think we could sum it up as is is like this. We could, you know, sometimes it's said that the church has a mission. The church has a mission. But I think what this definition is getting at is that that's not actually biblically the case. The, The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And to, to make this distinction a little bit more clear, here's what I mean. Do you know Mission Impossible, those movies? So uh, in Mission Impossible movies, Mr. Hunt is given a mission that he has to, has to accomplish, and he most of the time defies incredible odds, throws everyone on his back, comes across the finish line, somehow lands the plane at the end, right? But the Mission Impossible missions rest on him. It's up to him. If he fails, they fail. The buck stops at Mr. Hunt. Compare that to um, the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, most of us have probably read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe at some point in our lives or watched the movie or heard it, so we're a little bit familiar with the story. But it's a little bit different than Mission Impossible. You know, there is a mission. There's a purpose. There's evil to be dealt with, right? The white witch has to be overthrown. Um, The powers and principalities at work in Narnia need to be uh, cast aside. But the children, the four children and the Narnians soon begin to realize that this mission really doesn't fully rest on them. That there is a bigger power at work here. And when Aslan is introduced, they see it. There's there's a person who is the bigger power. story who who they know that you know even though uh peter susan edmund and lucy and the narnians they're fighting against this white witch but ultimately the mission is not theirs the mission is aslan's now this is what the church must realize that the church doesn't have a mission god's mission has a church but what is god's mission what begins on the first page in creation And it's this, God made the world as the capstone of his good work. He created people in his image so that we could share in God's abundant love and grace and goodness. So creation, right from the first page, was a way that God, the the perfection of the Trinity overflowed. And God could invite us to share in his glory, in his goodness. It's, it's a relational mission right from the beginning. But we see that in our relationship with God and with each other and with the world that soon sin enters and fractures uh, that original creation. And so God's mission, God's purpose, doesn't change but continues. The world needs to be reconciled, right? Sin needs to be dealt with. And so God invites then one of the first moves God makes is he invites Abraham to be an agent of his mission. And so he says to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, he says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
And so what we see in this passage right here in the beginning of the Bible is that God's mission to rescue, to restore, to renew the world moves through Abraham. From Abraham comes the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel was called to be a light to the nations, a city on a hill that God gave his good law to, that they may model what it means to be in a relationship with this triune God, and to participate in his abundant love and grace. And we can trace through the Old Testament the ups and downs of this story, right? Um, Israel struggled to live into this mission that God invited them to join. And then God sends Jesus to be the one who reconciles and restores the world, to do what Israel could not do. We could say that um, Jesus is the true and better Adam, right? He uh, stood the test of temptation uh, that Adam could not in the garden. And Jesus' obedience is ascribed to us. It's given to us. We could say that Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and the familiar in heaven and to go into the void to create a new people of God, the church. Jesus is the mission of God. And he has come so that we can share in his love and glory again, that we can be with God. And then Jesus institutes the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And so now we can start to arrive at the book of Acts, Acts 2, where Peter is a member of this church, is one of the apostles. And we can see that the mission of God is, is working through human people. Right? The God's mission now has a church. And what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means a few important things. It means that church is not our idea. Church is not our idea. It's God's idea. It's not our creation, and it's not even doing our mission. It's God's idea, it's God's creation, and it's God's mission that we get to participate in. Now, if you were walking down the street in Hamilton and, um, you know, this has happened in this neighborhood, I don't know, maybe in your neighborhood too, but there's, uh, maybe there's a Netflix TV show being filmed, right? And you're walking by the set and there's all sorts of people running around doing different things and all of a sudden the director runs to you and says to you, hey, hey you, do, do you want to play a part? Do you want to be a part of this? And you like, you look up and down at yourself and you think, Sure. Why not? Because when a director asks you to play a part, of course you say yes. Now, is it your show? No. Is it, uh, is it your um, role, really? No, it's, it's, it's something that you've fully been invited into, invited to participate into, invited to play a part. And friends, that's how I'd like us to think about church. Is that each person here has been invited into this place by God. Invited to join him on his mission of renewal and redemption of all things. God's mission has a church. Now, why does this mission matter? The mission of the church matters because God's church is an, is an instrument of reconciliation and renewal in this world. Now, think of the church like an orchestra, right? An in, in, orchestra is made up of a whole bunch of different instruments, 
And in the church, too, we're, we're a diverse group of people with many different gifts, many different talents, many different uh, opportunities, many different abilities, many different passions. And we probably look a little bit like an orchestra. There's some violins, there's some oboes, there's some trumpets, there's some cellos. There's lots of different instruments that are represented here in this church. And all of us have a different part to play. You know, the violins are lightly chopping through a staccato section while the trumpets are laying some bold accents and the upright bass is maintaining a foundation. Everyone in the orchestra has a part to play. You imagine if a, an orchestra, you know, there was gathered on the, on the stage and, and you came for the performance and then all of a sudden the violins decided that they just didn't want to play. It wouldn't be complete. Or if the, the flutes all of a sudden, you know, were playing out of tune, it, would, it wouldn't sound good. If everyone turned away and started looking at someone else other than the conductor, then they'd be playing all over the place. Well, the church is a little bit like that. You know, we all have a part to play. And one of the, one of the honest critiques about the Western church is that it can be filled with people who are there to consume, who are there to receive and not to play a part. Right? If a, a, a member of an orchestra does not show up to consume the music that is being played by the other instruments, no, no, no. You show up to play a part. You've got a role to play. And this is actually one of the most beautiful things about the church. Because the, in the world, if you want to be somebody, it takes degrees, it takes connections, it takes success it takes money if you want to if you want to play an important part in the world you've got to be successful but if you want to play an important part of the church you've got to show up you got to show up and admit your need for jesus and allow his holy spirit to work through you to play through you it's beautiful and look at the church in acts they they're devoted they show up they recognize that they have a role to play and god uses them and as a means of renewal in their city the the church matters because it is an instrument and it's an instrument of blessing it says in acts 2 that they enjoyed the favor of all people you know what that means it means they were committed to the good of the city that people liked having them there that they were noticed because they were good to the people that were around them now i only have time to touch on this but let me offer three different ways that the church can offer good news to our world today in the first in the way that we model what flourishing looks like and as, as people who have been entrusted with the good news we 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 have a, a, a view of flourishing that comes straight from God. God tells us how we were created to live. And so we have opportunities to live this out in the world through the way we use money. That's the first one I'll use. So look at, um, in, the, in the Acts church, they gave their possessions away. They were sacrificial. They saw the, 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 the things that they had in a different way. Now, the church is called to promote and practice radical generosity in their commitment to time, money, and relationships. To social justice, to needs for the poor, to the immigrant, to the economically and physically weak. 
It's one of the primary callings of the church in the world is to see those three things differently. Time, money, and relationships. This is how we model to the world what true flourishing looks like. The second thing is in sex. We avoid both seculars' idolization of it and also the traditional society's fear of it. Right? We also exhibit love rather than hostility towards those whose sexual life patterns are different from ours. We are called to extend grace and love. In power, where we read in this, um, chap- this section in Acts that they broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts. And this was straight across social lines, economic lines, cultural lines. And so the church is committed to power sharing relationship building among races and classes that are alienated or outside the body of Christ. So a missional church, a church that is, sees themselves as part of God's mission, has to be deeply and practically committed to, the, to deeds of compassion and social justice, and deeply and practically committed to evangelism and conversion, in power, in how we relate to other people, What does this mean practically? Well, when when you give generously to a neighbor lady who needs help, that's being an instrument of blessing. When you're patient to a classmate who is taking longer on a group assignment than it would have taken you, and you're patient, and you allow them to work it through, that's being an instrument of blessing. When you model integrity at your workplace or in your career, maybe even especially at expense to a promotion or benefit to yourself, that's being an instrument of blessing. It's a way that we model the flourishing that God created us for. But we're more than just witnesses to a way of living taught in the Bible. We're an instrument of blessing in our humility. Because the church isn't for people who are perfect. Neither is it for people who are trying to do it themselves. Who brought us together? Who's the central person in our faith? It's Jesus. And so what brings us together is a common allegiance to a Messiah who had to die so that we could live. So the bottom line for us is that we base our whole identities on grace. That's what qualifies us for this community, for this mission. We come so that we can be freed from our striving and perfectionism. And so it changes how we model to the world. Now we don't just model a certain ethic or a way of living. We model an attitude towards ourselves, an attitude towards each other. Because if we're banking on people seeing our morality and the church's track record or our actions and saying, boy, look at them. Look at how good they are. I really want to be a part of it. Then we're in a really bad place. But the good news is it's not about that. I think our humility is exactly the place that our missional renewal takes place. At the moment that we're vulnerable enough to come to the table broken. What if our attitude was not one of religious pride at being the light of the nations, but one of humility and repentance? 
Friends, this is the point. We are not a perfect light. And so we offer a blessing to the world, a blessing of humility. And best news is that the mission of God is exactly for those who know they need to be rescued. Christ came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He rose for you. And he called you into this church, into his church, into his mission as a way of continuing this transformation and renewal in your own life as you live it out to others. The funny thing is that the moments that we admit weakness, I don't know if this is true, this is true for my life, the moment that I've, that I've admitted weakness, that I've had to repent of something, and I've had to turn away intentionally. The moment I've had to, that I've needed grace is the moment the transformation has taken place. When that addiction is confessed, when that idolatry is named, this is when the power of the mission of God hits our hearts. Because this invitation, God's invitation to us to join him in his redemption and renewal of all things, it both humbles us and it empowers us. It humbles us because we know we don't deserve to play this part. We're not good enough. We're not qualified enough to be a part of God's mission. We are not Mr. Hunt. We cannot throw the team on our back. And so this, this invitation humbles us because we know we don't deserve it. But it also empowers us because God promises that his spirit will flow through us. That his will will be accomplished through us. We are promised this. And this leads me to the last point. How is the mission of God accomplished? Two main points here. First, the mission of God is accomplished through the church, not by our own power, but by his just following Acts 2, um, this is put on display for us. Peter comes across a lame man, um, and he says to him, A silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And in the power of the Spirit, that man's life was transformed. Now you might not speak to lame people and empower them to walk. But God has invited you to speak to some people and empower them to live. Who are those people? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Is it a colleague? The Spirit has been given to us for this exact purpose. That we may through the power of the Holy Spirit, accomplish the mission of God. The second thing is the mission of the church is always moving forward through ordinary broken people like me and like you. When we look through the pages of the Bible, we don't see perfect people a part of God's plan. Joseph, who would later, later save Israel from ruin, arrogantly taunted his brothers. David, the man after God's own heart and author of most of the Psalms, committed adultery and murder. Solomon, the son of David and the wisest king of his time, was a womanizer. Rahab, a hero of faith who protected and hid Israelite spies, 
was a prostitute. Peter and Barnabas in the New Testament fell into old patterns of elitism and exclusion, retreating relationally from their Gentile brothers and sisters. The Corinthian church affectionately referred to Paul by, by Paul as saints and daughters and sons of the Father are also bore a lot of rotten fruit and division. I could go on. In other words, the pages of the Bible tell us that God's mission is not for the elite, those who have it all together, but it's for us, ordinary and broken people. It doesn't depend on me or on you, but on God. And friends, this is good news. The church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And he chose people like me and you to do it. Let's pray. Father God, it confounds us at points when we look at our lives and we wonder, how could you include us? And yet you do. Father, this humbles us and it empowers us. And may we feel that humility. May we be brought low. May we see our brokenness, our need to confess our sin. And may we also be empowered by it. May we see that you have chosen us because you love us, not for any other reason, but that you want to be in a relationship with us, that you want to use us to redeem and renew your broken creation. Father, may this humble us. May this empower us. Give us uh, your spirit and use this church to bless the world. In Jesus' name, amen.